This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. Um, it is good to be in the house of the Lord together. My name is John Weaver. I am the campus minister and the executive director of your Wesley Foundation. It's your campus ministry. It's at uh, the Wesley of Middle Tennessee. It's over uh, on MTSU's campus, but we serve students who are um, uh, both at MTSU, local community colleges, and because of our nature of being online with a lot of things, we also have students that range all the way from like Alaska and Chicago and a student who even is in Scotland um, who's part of our ministry. But I'm thankful to get to be here today. I hate kind of the reason I'm here today is because we do want to keep Trey and Abby and Abby's family in our prayers this morning. But Trey this week on Wednesday just said, hey, we're traveling to West Virginia. Um, do you think you could step up and fill in for a second? And I was like, I think we can do that. And I'll be glad to get to be with y'all this morning. Um, so this morning, I just want to say that for those of you who are unfamiliar, like the Wesley is uh, our campus ministry. Um, it is a sponsored by the United Methodist Church, but all Methodist churches. And we are so thankful for the great partners that we have, partners like this church and the Joyful Hearts. Man, we heard about the grandparents today, what they're doing today, but they've been busy this week because the Joyful Hearts also brought lunch to our college students this week and cooked for them. And it was wonderful and just a great time to be together with them. And I'm uh, so thankful for that small group. Thankful for all of our small groups here. I'm thankful for our children's ministry because my children are part of this children's ministry. And I'm so thankful for this incredible community that we have. Um, and welcome and have a great, I uh, hope every all the grandparents have a great grandparents day. My parents would tell you that if they could have just skipped to being grandparents, they would have done that because apparently it's that much better. But it is so good to have all of you here today. Now, because I am a campus minister, I, I, I have really uh, appreciated, I get, to, I get to worship and lead worship on Tuesday nights at Wesley. And, but I get to, on Sunday mornings, most Sunday mornings, I get to worship here or I get to go and worship in other Methodist congregations and other congregations. And I love getting to hear my friends and my colleagues preach. And I've just celebrated getting to hear this series of talking about like this vision and the ship that we're all on together. And today, we were, Trey and I were talking, and there's a series we were doing at Wesley uh, that was talking about ownership of faith, and it just really kind of was connecting with what Trey was doing here. So I, I, because I am a campus minister, though, I usually do things a little bit differently than most people do. So one of the things that we believe in at Wesley is that worship should be interactive, that you're a, you are a participant. You have to help create worship in this moment, not just receive it or consume it. So I'm gonna ask you to do something that may be a little different. Is I've got some, I've got a, I've got a question for you that if you'll turn, you know, stay as uh, safe as you can, but if you'll turn to somebody around, if you don't have a neighbor, let's make a neighbor this morning. Um, and so here's the question. What is something uh, very precious to you? Something that you own that is very precious to you? How did you get it? Uh, how, was it a gift? Did you earn it? Do you have to maintain it? What is a very special or precious thing that you own and talk to people about it. So turn to your neighbors for just a couple of minutes. Those online, put your comments in the comment section. Ready, go.
just a few more seconds to wrap up your conversation. So I'm really curious, you know, I'm gonna have y'all look close. Let's talk this morning, okay? All right, so can somebody, like somebody tell me what's something very precious you own that, that you were just talking about? Anybody from, let's go from this side. Your dog, that's a good call. That's a, oh, that's a great call right there. All right, somebody from the middle. You're home for 30 years. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. All right, somebody from over here. Your grandchildren. I love that. That's great. I'll put him on the spot because why not? Jonathan, what'd you say? Yeah, so a picture of you and kids and stuff. Yeah, it's just like a special thing. That's awesome. I appreciate that. Thanks for sharing those things. And if you didn't get to share, make sure that you continue to talk with your neighbor at the end of the service. I, I, one of the things for me that is one of the most precious things that I own is I actually have, uh, it's, a, it's an AA coin. It belonged to my grandfather. My grandfather was a recovering alcoholic. He died several years ago. But before he died, he had already, he hit uh, his 30 years of sobriety. So he has a 30-year token. And it's a token that you receive when you hit a certain mark. So you get tokens at different places. And this 30-year token is something that when he passed away, my grandmother looked at me and said, I, I know that he would want you to have this. And that's because my grandfather and I were incredibly close and we talked about his recovery and I've worked with people with addictions and, um, and, and he taught me so much about not just addictions, but, but life and about faith and how faith is moving and working and can overcome and how faith is such a powerful thing in your life. And, and because of that, he often talked about his recovery was like his faith. It's not that you either have it or you don't. It's that you're always working on it. That your faith, just like recovery, is a day at a time. And it takes a lot of perseverance. It takes a lot of attention. It takes a lot of work. And when we think about something that you have or something that you own, this is one of those things you had to maintain. So it actually led me to, a, uh, to do a series for the opening of our semester called faithing. That faithing was this notion for us that faith is more like a verb than it is a noun. That we sometimes treat faith as whether something you have or you don't have versus a journey, a process, a moving, a day-by-day -day thing. And ultimately, we, in our series at Wesley, we looked at these stages of that to really have where we're trying to get with Christ is to have an ownership of our faith, a place where our faith is not about just that we live in a Southern Christian culture. Our faith is not about our family. Our faith is not about just the thing that I want, that I know that I should be doing, but that faith is actually ours and is a relationship that we have between us and God. And that we looked at these stages of that you have to go through like, exploring your faith and exploring what your faith actually can mean and look like. Then often we live into a time of wrestling where we have to just wrestle with God. We have to wrestle with difficult situations. We have to wrestle with other Christians. We have to wrestle with other people. We have to wrestle with ourselves. And ultimately our students and I, we always claim that, that wrestling is not a bad thing. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. 
doubt, if processed and worked and moved well with loving community and people, God will continue to show up. That's not a bad thing. But all of it leads to a place where we have ownership. Ownership of our relationship and our faith with God. And that it's ours. And it's special. And it's moving. And it'll transform you. So this morning, I want to look at a story of a person in Scripture who really embodies and exemplifies what ownership of faith might look like. And in order to go do that, we'll, we're going to be reading from uh, the Gospel of Matthew. But I want to do something a little different this morning. I, I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes when I'm reading Scripture, I read it like an assignment. I read it as something that I'm going to get through it, my daily devotion, my psalms, the things that I'm doing, I'm preaching, teaching, whatever I'm doing. I read it like an assignment. And I look at this holy place where God is trying to reveal who God is and what is going to be moving and happening in my life, and I just try to fly through it versus treating it as a holy practice. And one of the ways to be able to do this is through a change from reading from an assignment or reading with this end of mind is a, one of the methods is called Lectio Divina. It's called holy reading. Now, it looks different. Uh, you know, you can go online and Google it, and there's going to be like 20 different ways to do it. But the whole principle and idea is that I'm going to read this in such a way that I will be transformed by it. I'm going to read Scripture in such a way that I come to expect and know that God is revealing God's self to me in there. So this morning, I'm actually going to read the Scripture twice, just so we can practice this a little bit. The first time we read it, I, I, I really want to just make sure that you breathe. If, if you're so inclined, just close your eyes and listen. But to, to really hear and feel your breathing so that you can just be you and the Holy Spirit speaking to you. The second time I read it, I want you to think about what word, image, or phrase stuck out to you. What word, image, or phrase stuck out to you. But we're going to read this through twice. And so I invite you to find whatever posture of prayer works for you as we hear now for the word of God coming from the gospel of Matthew. Let us breathe and let us hear. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. He answered, it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. 
and her daughter was healed instantly. This time, listen for the word, the phrase, whatever sticks out to you that you can grab onto. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But Jesus did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. He answered, it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master, their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. Will you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, we ask that you bless the reading and the hearing of your holy word. We pray that you can teach us to breathe, to listen, and to have our hearts transformed. We pray this in the name of Christ, who is our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This piece of scripture is, is one of my favorites because this woman in the scripture is one of my favorite characters in all of scripture. I know there was one time, once upon a time in my Sunday school growing up in the church that we were going through the Gospel of Matthew. And we got up to this story in the Gospel of Matthew and our Sunday school like teacher actually just like skipped over it. And I, I, I finally, a couple weeks later, I went back and said, hey, you, you, you skipped that part in there. And the Sunday school teacher was very honest. He's like, I'll be honest with you. I, I didn't wanna talk about it because I don't know what to do with that story. I don't know what that story's about. It, it, it's not very kind, it's difficult, it's, I don't know what's happening, and I just started to skip over it. And this is an important moment to tell you that it's always important to, part of ownership of faith means that you are deeply working through scripture and all of it. Because you don't wanna rely just on other people telling you what scripture says. You wanna spend time with it to allow God to continue to move and work in your heart. But it's a tough story. So one of the things that we have to do, right, we've got to get the context, because Ben Witherington, who was a professor of trays and just somebody I've enjoyed uh, learning and meeting over the years, often says that if you, if you uh, context, a text without a context is just pretext for you having it say whatever you want it to say. So let's make sure that we have the context here. So the context is that Jesus is working in his ministry and he's moving from town to town. But as he's moving, there is some very difficult tension in his teaching, and there's some hecticness in the healing. The, the, teaching in, the tension in the teaching is that when he is spending time 
he is kind of rubbing some of the religious folks the wrong way. That when he's teaching, they're trying to either catch him saying something wrong, or there's tension because they're asking him questions and they're just trying to like create friction and problems. And that his teaching is so powerful and so moving, it just causes an angst. Not, not with those who are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time, not those who are hearing the good news of a creator who loves them. It was really kind of causing more tension with the good church peoples of the day. But then on top of that, there's a hectic, hecticness when he's healing people. I mean, you can imagine people from all over the countryside begin to hear and know of this Jesus guy who is healing people, blind are able to see, crippled people are able to walk, he's, leprosy is being healed. All these things are happening, and you can just imagine what that looks like, right? We've seen the Chick-fil-A line in Murfreesboro. We know hecticness happens. Can you imagine what it would be like for this guy moving around offering miraculous and free health care? There's hecticness of people just trying to come everywhere. And then in the Gospel of Matthew, it reminds us, and then it says very so clearly, a Canaanite woman. Why does Matthew go all the way to say like this Canaanite woman who lived in the region met him at the edge of the town? Well, just Canaanites were people who were culturally, ethnically, and religiously a little different than the Hebrews and the Israelites. They were the people who were living in what is the promised land as the Israelites were coming from Egypt and they had been fighting. They fought for years and years and years through all the Old Testament, Joshua and Judges, all those places in scripture, they were fighting. And then even later on, there was still just this tension. The Israelites were seen as the promised and we are holy and good and then everybody else, specifically those Canaanites, nope. So here, a non-Israelite woman is meeting him on the edge of town asking for help. And that's what sets up this story. Now, while she's asking for help, the disciples, it just says they were just made. They were just like, Jesus, hey just tell this woman something and make her go away. Like, we're just so tired of her. And I, you almost hear like they're just tired of all these people all the time, flocking to Jesus, asking for all these things. They are dismayed. So then Jesus has this moment with her. And as she's shouting out, Lord, help me, she's shouting out, Jesus finally responds and says, hey, look, I came to save the people of the house of Israel. You know, I came for them. And, and this is good. The saving that's happening is really, really good. It's like the best food, and we don't give the best food to the dogs. And here, this woman speaks back. She said, yeah, you're right. But even the dogs get the crumbs from the table. I, one of my friends calls this the sacred art of talking back. Here this woman has, has, has grasping and getting something that maybe I even struggle with is that she is so powerful and real that she does the sacred holy thing of being able to speak back and talk back to Jesus. I love this story because this woman is the embodiment of an own faith. She has owned her faith 
and she is right there. There's, there's actually even, a, I think we have a, a, a painting that I love, and we'll hold that up there for a while as I talk about this woman. But that she is the embodiment of an own faith. First of all, she names who Jesus is. Come on. She is a Canaanite woman names. Jesus, you are the Lord, the son of David. What she is saying is that I, I don't know, maybe I don't know much, but I know that you're the Messiah. She's also naming what her problem is, that she is, her child has been tormented by a demon. Now, first of all, this is a lesson. Don't mess with mamas with sick children. Maybe Jesus learned something right there. She also named what she was hoping for. Think about how powerful this is as a faith for this Canaanite woman who knows who Jesus is. She names what the problem is, and she is telling him what she's hoping for. She knows that even the power of Jesus, and even if she can only get the crumbs from the table, that's powerful enough. She has this incredible ownership of faith, and Lord, she has got a great prayer life. How simple and how beautiful of a prayer. Lord, help me. It is such a beautiful and simple prayer, and it's one that I got honest with you, I don't say enough. Because I want to try to fix things myself. I want to be the one who doesn't need help. I want to be the one who can do all things in Christ who strengthens me, but I forget that it's the Christ who strengthens me. And it's a simple prayer, Lord, help me. And when she calls this out, even with the dismay of the disciples, the hectiness going on, the tension and everything else, she would not be intimidated nor silenced. And she calls out to Jesus and she waits. I love her boldness and her heart. I love that she's kind of the opposite of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, people who thought they had it all figured out and sat back and just were trying to poke at Jesus or try to say, we're good people of faith. She showed, her, she showed genuineness and authenticity. She showed she was desperate. Now, we can't go too far in this story without talking about this like really harsh, direct, difficult exchange between her and Jesus. It, it almost seems un-Jesus-like, right? Let's just say it. It seems almost un-Jesus-like that he would call someone, you know, a dog, or he would say, I'm only here for the children of Israel, the rest of you just, you know, shove off. Seems kind of direct and harsh. Now, first of all, the notion of calling someone a dog who's Canaanite was part of Jesus' culture. It doesn't make it okay. I'm just naming it. Now, there's lots of explanations about what Jesus is doing here. The, the most prevalent explanation I've always heard is that Jesus is kind of like testing her. He's, he's pushing back and he's challenging her to try to, de try to declare her faith. And she, he's trying to like really test her and to push her a little bit in ways that often maybe we get that happen to us. I've often heard another explanation that it's just Jesus being human. It's the human part of Jesus of him being short. He's stressed out. He's living in tension and he, he offers a moment may not even be at his best human part. Now, I will say, I kind of like that, that explanation a little bit because I, I'm just gonna confess it. I'm, I'm often short with people, especially people in my family. 
I, I get stressed out, I have tension, and I appreciate this explanation because it maybe tells me that being short and feeling tension and feeling stress is not a sin. This is part of humanity and it's part of who we are. And it's the part that Jesus is held accountable to by her. And it's a part that Jesus responds with holiness and with grace. But I'll tell you, my, my, the explanation that maybe I live with the most is this. The explanation that I believe is that Jesus is partnering with her to declare an evil that is in their culture. Jesus is partnering with this woman to call out and declare a piece of evil in their culture, the evil of labeling people and dismissing people. The evil part of their culture of where they name somebody for who they thought they were, and they, because of that, their opinion doesn't matter, who they are doesn't matter, and that they are just wrong, and I am right, and Lord, that is part of their culture, but I think it's part of ours been on Facebook lately how easy is it us to label somebody for who we think they are or put them into a label and to dismiss them and to not actually listen and not actually be honest and to share and to care enough to spend this kind of time Jesus is partnering with this woman who have, would have been dismissed to say that she is something special He's using her to elevate all the non-Israelites, all the non-Jews. He's, he's raising them and saying that they are welcome to the table as well. She went from being a one-woman welcoming committee on the edge of town to be an instrument that Christ used to welcome all. Do we still reflect that? This woman had a great ownership of faith, and I'll just tell you quickly that I think that there's a few things I'd want to offer us, extra things I'd want to offer us this morning about what ownership of faith can help do. First is that ownership is real and relentless. We see that from this woman. That when you are in the seeking and moving of owning your own faith, it is really real. It can also be very raw, but it's also very relentless. She didn't give up. She was naming exactly what she was feeling and moving in. And is your faith doing the same? We sometimes gloss over our faith with niceties and sunny school answers. But ownership of faith is real and relentless. Ownership of faith also produces healing, perseverance, and change. We know that from this story, that her daughter was healed and that she had an ownership of faith that kept her going even when others would try to keep her away from Jesus. And that ultimately, everyone in this story is changed. Maybe even Jesus a little bit. I'll tell you that ownership of faith as we see it here also protects religiousness that excludes compassion, mercy, and justice. Let me just say this very, very clearly. If compassion, mercy, and justice are not part of your faith, then I think you want to look at it again. If compassion, mercy, and justice are not part of our church, we may need to look at this again. 
But lastly, I would tell you that ownership is grasping, finally grasping for the real place that you have a place at the table and it's not for the crumbs. Our Lord God has had invited you to this table that is part of the kingdom of heaven. How often do we maybe not come with a full appetite? How often do we settle for the crumbs versus all that Christ is trying to offer and move in us? When I was an undergrad at Tennessee Tech, I was part of the Wesley Foundation there, but I was also serving a two-point charge, two little churches on the north side of Cobrell. And one of the things I learned as a college student, I was 19 when I first started serving churches. And at 19, I, as a college student, I realized that one of the things pastors sometimes, we don't have a lot of power and authority, but one of the things we have power and authority on is that we can, we can ask people to have potluck dinners. It's like the, one of the greatest maybe power and authorities that I've abused over the years, right? And I was a 19 year old, uh, you know, living away from home and I felt like we should have potlucks all the time. So at least one of the churches, I got them on board. We had a, we had a potluck at least one Sunday out of the month. It was a great lunch. It was a great time and everything else. And I did this thing where like I would talk to people and then people would go in front of me in the line and then everybody thought, oh, He's so humble and kind. He makes sure everybody eats before him. Heck no, I go through and just grab bowls and clean them up. I wanna make sure everybody got some before I finish things. But one time, the danger with this is that one time, because I went so far late, I, I didn't get any banana pudding. It's, it's, I know. Didn't get any banana pudding, and I just was kinda like, oh, that, that stinks, but Miss Maxine, sweet lady at our church, she noticed that. For the next meal that we had, we got there, and sure enough, there was no banana pudding left. And I sat down, and I just grabbed, I just did what I knew to do. I grabbed the, the bowl that was left, you know, the little remnants of banana pudding that was left, and I started, Ugh. you ever done that? I started working it. I worked every little, I was gonna get one good spoonful. And when I was working it, and I was getting ready to eat it, all of a sudden, Miss Maxine came and said a whole nother banana pudding in front of me. And Miss Maxine looked at me and she said, at this table, you don't need to settle for the crumbs. I think Jesus may be trying to remind us at this table, at, at your faith, Let's not settle for the crumbs. Let's not settle for a faith that is anything short of us owning it and moving in it and living a transformed life as disciples of Jesus Christ so that we can transform this world. Don't settle for the crumbs. Let's own our faith. Will you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I give you thanks for this day. And I celebrate that this woman in scripture was so bold and owned her faith and embodied an ownership of faith that was so powerful that we are still talking about it today. I ask, oh God, that you may convict us and move in us and have your Holy Spirit prompt things in our hearts 
for us to know that our faith can be so much deeper, our faith can be explored and wrestled through, that our faith can be ours in you. I pray, oh God, that we will not settle for just the crumbs of this life of this disciple of Jesus Christ. And I pray, oh God, that you lift up in us an awareness of the ways that we may dismiss others. I pray that you lift up awareness for us to be able to be compassionate and full of mercy and justice. I pray, oh God, that we can be relentless as we help continue to move and partner with you to transform this world. I pray a blessing upon all of us as we go through this week living and working and cultivating our faith. I pray this in the name of the Christ who continues to invite us. Amen.